everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto seven years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the September 9th, 2022 episode of Unchained. Unchained Daily Bits are now on YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained Podcast to subscribe and catch up on the top headlines in crypto in 60 seconds or less. Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained Daily Newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. One Inch is a top DEX aggregator that finds the best rates across multiple networks. Why use a single DEX when you can use them all? Get One Inch on your phone now or swap on oneinch.io. Don't miss Mainnet, the most anticipated crypto event of the year, September 21st to 23rd in New York City. Get $300 off your pass today by visiting mainnet.events and entering promo code UNCHAINED at checkout. See you this fall at Mainnet 2022. With the Crypto.com app, you can buy, earn, and spend crypto in one place. Download and get $25 with the code LAURA, link in the description. Today's guest is Preston Van Loon, co-founder and Ethereum core developer at Prismatic Labs. Welcome, Preston. Hey, happy to be here. At the time of recording, Ethereum's long-awaited merge is projected to occur sometime between Wednesday evening, Eastern time, and Thursday morning. This shift to proof of stake is certainly one of the most momentum uh, transitions in Ethereum's history, at least from a technical perspective. And you, Preston, have been working on what is currently the most popular client for the merge. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling great. Really excited. You know, we've been working on this for many years and and the impacts and, and benefits of, of the merge are just it's just amazing to see it's finally here. I think everyone's been waiting. Merge is coming soon since, I don't know, 2016. And, and finally, we're uh, one week away. It's just incredible to see it. So let's make sure that all the listeners are up to speed on what the merge is. Can you explain what's happening on a technical level? Yeah, so the, the merge, in short, is a switch from proof of work to proof of stake. Um, how basically how Ethereum comes to consensus on blocks in the blockchain. The reason it's called a merge is that we already launched the proof of stake side in uh, another blockchain called the Beacon Chain. This is running, you know, alongside the proof of work chain and has been for I think about a year and a half since December of 2021 or 2020, a year and a half ago, <laughs> and. Uh, the reason we did it that way is we really wanted to test it and make sure it works. Uh, the proof of stake as a concept and, and the model that's been designed is really going to work. And now that we've been running it for, for a considerable amount of time and sort of got it up to a scale that, that has a, a large economic security with billions at stake, say, okay, now it's time to do the switch. So effectively, we will take the beacon chain and merge it with the proof of work chain or the main chain of Ethereum and effectively remove the, the proof of work part there and use the 
proof of stake to come to consensus on, on the blockchain. So if Ethereum pulls this off, what impact do you see it having on Ethereum as well as the larger crypto space? There are a lot of really important benefits to come to the switch of proof of stake. So the one that uh, we is probably the most evident is the efficiency gain, right? Um, proof of work is is very expensive in terms of computation, in terms of resources, hardware, and energy. And now with the sw- switch to you know proof of stake, there's there's not as much computational requirements. So like I like to think about it as if you wanted to be a block producer today, you know, before the merge, you you almost need an entire data center or or larger of hardware, a fleet of hardware to to hash enough information to come up with the right answer for for a block. Right, you're doing a lot of work, the proof of work part. Well, now, you know, in proof of stake, it's it's as simple as or it can be done on something as simple as a consumer grade hardware, like a laptop. So a lot of us have been running on a Raspberry Pi, which is like an eighty dollar piece of hardware that, you know, middle schoolers use to tinker with and, and learn about computers, right? It's really cheap hardware and costs nothing to run effective, uh, essentially costs very little. So that like that in itself is a really amazing trade-off that or, or benefit that comes with this. And, you know, the energy, it's hard to quantify, but there there is some like reduction in carbon emissions, which is really great. That's not really why we're doing it, but it, the energy efficiency is, has a lot of benefits to it. I think the other pieces that we like to highlight are that it, it makes it more decentralized, right? Like in the example I just gave, you would need an entire data center to be a block producer, or people usually do is they join a pool and pool the resources with others. Well, now you, you as an individual with a, a minimal investment can be a block producer, can be a participant. And we just really lower that barrier to entry for for at-home stakers, for more individuals and you know, make that pool of participants more decentralized because the the decentralized future is not you know three or four large organizations producing blocks. It's a much larger uh, group of people. Then the other part of this is that it makes Ethereum a bit more predictable when it comes to block times. With proof of work, the you know Ethereum has like a thirteen second block time, and this is an uh, probabilistic average like it's not guaranteed that a block is going to come every 13 seconds well with proof of stake we have more of a time-based issuance of blocks every 12 seconds a block is due to be issued or produced by a a validator so not only is that a a slightly shorter time where you get approximately 10 percent more block space per day but it's also consistent right it's almost a guarantee as long as a participation is high, near 100%, then you're always going to get a block every 12 seconds, which really helps with estimations. Like if you are making a deposit and they say, oh, you need, you need, you know, 30 block confirmations, well, you know exactly how much time it's going to take. And so earlier when you said that the environmental benefit isn't exactly why you're shifting to proof of stake, is it for these other technical reasons that you outlined or what is the main driver? Yeah, I think that when uh, these uh, cryptocurrencies were first developed and using proof of work. I I don't think that we had or those, you know, that it was quite a picture the future, how how big it would get and in terms of how much energy would be put in there. So when, you know, Ethereum was launched, it always kind of had this call to switch to, to proof of stake. Uh, and I think that at the time they weren't thinking about carbon emissions, just that this makes a bit more sense in terms of energy efficiency. And even with like renewable energies, you know, you, you could argue those are that energy is better spent somewhere else, but really like we talk about like, what does Ethereum care about as a, as a platform? Well, it aims to be 
scalable and decentralized. And I think those aspects of switching to proof of stake are really the main motivators here. Besides, energy efficiency is great, and that makes a lot of sense. But but to lower the barrier to entry, increasing decentralization and increasing the uh, economic security of the chain makes it more secure in that way. It's much harder to attack when you need a lot more capital to do so. Obviously, there have been a number of successful test merges. So at this point, it looks highly likely that this will also be a successful merge. But just because we're not 100% sure, I did want to ask, what is the contingency plan if, for whatever reason, the merge does fail next week? Part of the process here is like building confidence. You know, what's taken us so long is that this this merge admittedly is very complex. It has a lot of complexity, right? And with complexity, there's more surface area for bugs, more risk, more things that could possibly go wrong. But we have also kind of added in some, some insurance there. So things that could possibly go wrong or most likely would go wrong is that there's some kind of issue with the implementation of this of the software of the merge. What Ethereum has done and the Ethereum community has done is that we've come out with five different implementations of the proof of stake side of things. So that being an insurance policy is that, okay, well, if one of those clients, let's say Prism doesn't work, that's the one that I work on. If it's just it doesn't work for some reason, that we'll switch, you know, you have an option, you can switch to another one. And the great part about this is that we can push an idea called client diversity, which means, okay, we have five clients and we're going to encourage people to use them such that the distribution is not very high. So you have a larger diversity. You know, Prism being the most popular client is just over a third of the networks. So I think like 35%, something like that. So if it did completely halt, well, the chain could continue and people could you know, quickly scramble to get to a new software carefully, of course, but, but you have that insurance policy there. Now, I think that, you know, this is pretty risky, right? And we have tested a lot and I really think it's, it's going to go well. However, in, you know, the unlikely case of like, it just doesn't work at all. None of the clients work like the, the, the stars align and the Swiss cheese aligns and like, it just doesn't work. Well, you know, it's it's kind of hard to plan for that, but I mean, you could the proof of work side is still there. Like this is a, a hard fork, right? So it, it's not like we can stop anybody who continues to not to mine that and not upgrade, right? So I guess like the you know in the absolute worst case, we just say, okay, well, it didn't work. Let's keep going on the proof of work chain and sort of figure out what to do next. But again, it's so unlikely that all of the clients don't work in the same way even after all this testing and even with the testing of entropy of doing like shadow forks like we have forked mainnet and done the merge many times and including all of the like chaos that comes with the with ethereum you know we've simulated that and even copied that into into these tests so confidence is extremely high there's not a bit in me that believes that it would get to that point but you always say like okay well what if 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 you don't ask the question then you're not going to be prepared you have to have a plan to get out of your house if it's on fire, even though you know it's never going to burn down. You just got to know how to do it. So we do think about that. And we've kind of thought about all these uh, uh, different avenues. Um, but, you know, since it is a di- like such a like dynamic problem that you, you can't really formulate a concrete plan, you kind of just sort of say, okay, here's where we're at and we'll figure it out. And that's what Ethereum community is pretty good at. They've had plenty of uh, times where things are not going well and they figured it out. 
Yeah, just what you were describing reminded me of the DOS attacks from the fall of 2016, which I wrote about in my book. They There were different attacks, and sometimes uh, one of the attacks would target like the Geth client, and then other times it would be uh, the parody client or whatever. And so, yeah, they kept having to tell people, you know, switch to this other client. Yeah. <laughs> Very effective. It worked to, you know, help Ethereum survive that period. Okay, so in a moment, we're going to talk more about Prism and Prismatic Labs. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. The most anticipated crypto event of the year is back. Join us at Mainnet 2022, happening this September 21st to 23rd in New York City. Connect with 4,000 plus crypto builders and thought leaders for three days of can't-be-missed keynotes, fireside chats, demos, networking, and more. Get $300 off your pass today by visiting mainnet.events and entering promo code UNCHAINED at checkout. That's mainnet.events and promo code UNCHAINED. See you this fall at Mainnet 2022. Join over 10 million people using Crypto.com, the easiest place to buy, earn, and spend over 150 cryptocurrencies. Spend your crypto anywhere using the Crypto.com Visa card. Get up to 8% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Back to my conversation with Preston. So as we discussed, you founded Prismatic Labs, and obviously you've been making Prism. Just talk a little bit more about what these clients do and what you've been working on and also what the future of Prismatic Labs will be. Yeah, you know, we've been working on this um, since the beginning of 2018. I I first discovered Ethereum in 2017 and said, oh, this is a pretty cool idea, but does the scale very well? Like token listings or, or people, everyone was creating a token back then with their ICOs. And, and I was like, maxing out the chain, gas prices were getting out of control. The crypto kitties was crazy. So we I started asking questions, you know, and and kind of saying, how can I help make this techno this technology that I believe was really cool and and impactful? How can I make it faster? So we formed Raul Raul Jordan and I formed it in 2018. We kind of started working on just like a moonlighting project of saying like I want to add sharding, sharding being the the big scaling effort to increase throughput, I want to add that to the Go Ethereum client, which is something we were familiar with and interested in. And that evolved into, okay, well, let's uh, put a team together. We met up in real life, so okay, let's put a team together. Uh, we had got, uh, I think there were four of us or maybe five of us, or, no, there were six of us originally. We never met before and never contributed to Ethereum in any way. We all just were interested, want to make an impact. So we make prismatic labs start working on a um, Go Ethereum sharding, working closely with researchers. So like Vitalik and Justin Drake and and those guys at the EF that were really responsible for formulating these ideas. And we would help, you know, flesh them out and, and discuss it if they're practically implemented and then try to do that. So we started building, you know, Prism and it's written in Go. So it's very similar to Go Ethereum, which kind of made sense. Uh, when we wanted to merge it with that. But as the ideas evolved, they say, okay, we're going to have to have two blockchains here, the Beacon Chain and uh, Ethereum Mainnet. Um, it became like a standalone client. And the ideas were, you know, we'll do proof of stake in its own like world and then have that like 
reach consensus and then also uh, validate and secure the proof of work side. The big problem we were having was that we couldn't f- figure out how to do proof of stake without paying gas within uh, Ethereum mainnet. And we were worried that, you know, if gas prices were going high, which they were doing all over the place, that that could mean uh, a liveness failure and that validators were not able to pay for the gas to, to validate transactions, to validate the blockchain. So I had to think of another model, and that's where we came up with this beacon chain idea. Uh, and 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 so so far, the beacon chain has been doing extremely well. It's uh, not had any major issues. It's been live, perfect liveness the entire time with this concept of finality, which is really really nice. Um, so I guess like what's uh, the future, right? Prism, Prismatic Labs. We still have a lot of work to do. We think with the Ethereum Core protocol, Ethereum has this like, great vision to be or possibility to be a global settlement layer to really be something we can all use. But to I think to reach this scale, there's a lot of work to do, primarily being we still haven't done the sharding part that we kind of set out to do four years ago. It's mostly been on proof of stake and getting things ready for that. Well, in the next, uh, I'd say like two to three years, so that's really what we're working on. There's ideas like dank sharding, uh, proto-dank sharding, uh, EIP 4844, which is to do data availability sharding for rollups and rollups being like layer twos that can really bring this, you know, like scaling transaction throughput to Ethereum, where Ethereum's doing 10 transactions per second, while rollups can basically 100x that, you know, guarantees that uh, Ethereum gives you some data availability. So we give more data space, there could be more space for rollups and stuff like that. So that's kind of our immediate future in the next couple of years. For Prismatic Labs to focus more on on scaling and sharding? Yeah, and that's really like Prismatic Labs. And of course, there are a lot of other teams in the community, like a one of five that does uh, the proof of stake side. But uh, I think that's like the the roadmap is coming up, uh, uh, at least for us at Prismatic Labs, is working on the, the scaling part again and, and sharding in particular. And how big is your team now? Because I know, for instance, after the initial Ethereum launch, then the teams working on the clients like, you know, Geth and Parity, they, you know, had to keep uh, making upgrades and all that. So are you expanding in order to kind of take on this new task or? Yeah, we have uh, thankfully been you know, funded from, you know, the Ethereum Foundation, um, others in the community, uh, Gitcoin grants, right? People are, we're open source public goods project and, We've been thankful to receive enough funding that we're now 11 people. And being 11 people, it's it's enough that we can maintain the client in its day and also be working on the new features. I think that we could always use more people, right? And and we encourage the uh, open source contributors to come take a look, to break things, ask questions, to even just read the code. And if it's not making sense, there's probably opportunity to to clean that up. but with that said, you know, we're a pretty good team size and we've been working well at this size. I, I feel like once you get over 10 people, you start to have some scaling problems internally as hierarchy <laughs> and you need managers and all this kind of stuff. So we're at a, like the sweet spot of the size and we're feeling like, okay, we're not totally drowning at work. We're still getting things done, uh, shipping things on time. And yeah, so. Yeah. We- and uh, one thing I wanted to say earlier too was I just love how, you know, with you and your co founders, you guys had not really contributed to Ethereum before. And now, obviously, hugely important to this momentous shift happening in Ethereum, which is just something in general that I loved about, I love about the crypto space because, you know, I think 
a lot of people get into crypto and yeah, they have nothing and uh, it's very open space. And so people can really make something of themselves. One thing I wanted to ask you about was, I'm sure you're aware that there are these miners that are threatening to fork the proof of work chain. You mentioned that, you know, obviously it's still not clear whether this is definitely going to happen, but I just, you know, was curious for your take on, on that movement. I have been seeing that as well. Ideas about like continuing the proof of work chain, like purposely removing difficulty bomb, changing the way fee, gas fees are burned or gas is burned, like EAP 1559. I don't really understand. I guess I do understand like some of the motives, but in general, like I, I just don't really see a future for it. Again, I, you know, I'm a core developer where I, I really understand like the code, the logic and the things that go with it. I'm not a trader investor or anything of that sort. So I can appreciate that some people might find some value in a chain like that, but I really don't you know, see a long-term, long-term being a thing, but, you know, people said that about ETH Classic, so I don't know, you know, what, what's, what's, what's going to happen, but, um, you know, I was looking at the code, they have like a fork of Go Ethereum. It doesn't look ready. I mean, there's still a week to go and they're, they're kind of, it seems like they're kind of planning to do their fork after the merge, like, like maybe a week after the merge. It also seems kind of strange. You'd think that like it'd be an instantaneous, like when the merge happens, there's one chain and there's another, and the other one's the other one. But they're almost like branching off of the what the merge is branching off of and making a, a sort of like a third fork and calling it something else. Uh, so I would just say like, okay, well, if you if the merge wasn't happening and somebody did that, would you want to be a part of it? And what's happening to DeFi on there? It's just gonna it's gonna be chaos. So I. Personally, I, I won't I won't use it or endorse it, but I, I can appreciate that this is a diverse space and people can do whatever they want. And that's really like blockchain and, and this kind of tech is great because, you know, who's, who can stop you? No one can stop you. So that's great. All right. Last question for the users out there who are waiting for lower gas fees and more block space. What would you say to them? I would say that it's, it's coming soon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, we've been saying coming soon for song, but at the merge you get like a like a very small improvement, ten ten percent more block space. It's not really you're not really going to feel it a whole lot. You're not going to feel much with the merge. It is top of mind after the merge. We're thinking about uh, withdrawals. You know, validators have been at stake indefinitely since the beginning, so maybe it's time for withdrawals to be enabled, transfers, and then it's and in in around the same time, it's also like getting back to the scaling part. So making throughput faster and all these kind of things. But if you're looking for, I don't know, if you're looking for some relief right now, well, there there are solutions through Layer 2. So there's a lot of great Layer 2 options out there. There's a lot of great DeFi activity or, or NFT activity or really what you want to do on the main chain. You probably can find the same projects have deployed to multiple of the Layer 2 roll-up chains. Um, so there, there and, and some of them have extremely low fees with the same security that Ethereum has. So definitely check that out. Yesterday, news broke that Coinbase was funding a lawsuit against the Treasury Department over the Tornado Cash sanctions. And it turns out that you are one of the plaintiffs. Can you explain what motivated you to do that and what you think the significance will be? You know, I can only talk a little bit about it because it is an active case. But the basis of it is that the code that powers Tornado Cash is speech. It's been established the code is speech. And we think that the sanctions that OFAC has put on here is effectively putting a, a censor on free speech. 
I think that's wrong. So I've you know joined in this lawsuit with a few others and with the help of Coinbase. And our goal is here is to try to get that overturned. We're not really seeking any like money or anything. Uh, I do have some ether that's trapped in there. You know, I can't take it out or be faced for sanctions violations. But really, the goal is to get that reversed and say, you know, CODIS speech and uh, free speech is a constitutional right. And so ideally, then it would only be addresses that would be sanctioned rather than the contracts themselves. Is that sort of the outcome that you're hoping for? Yeah, I don't know about that. I, I, I can't really comment on too many details. I've been told I can't say, say too much, but you know, that's, we, we do think that the free speech part of it is important and, and really want to get that part of it overturned. All right. So before we go, assuming that the merge is successful, how will you celebrate? <laughs> um, I think, yeah, if it goes really well, I'm going to have a really great night's sleep. I think that's going to be <laughs> the, one of the first things. So it's been uh, you know, a long journey to get here and, and, and I really want it to go well and, yeah, we'll definitely have a drink or two and celebrate and maybe party, but it, I not right away, right? It's good. It, my vision is going to go well, and then like maybe after a couple of days, I could really say, okay, it went well, and it's still going well, and things are good. So definitely looking forward to it. Okay, yeah, I guess there's no fast finality for the merge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and then it's like uh, it's kind of a long game too. It's like it has a lot of things it wants to solve that you can't even really quantify for. For some time. So, yeah. All right. Well, good work so far. We look forward to seeing how it all plays out. Thanks so much for coming on Unchained. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for this week in crypto after this short break. To swap crypto, a user has to choose among hundreds of DEXs on multiple networks, all offering different rates and fees. Do you want to avoid that hassle? Swap on OneInch, a top DEX aggregator built to get you better rates than any single DEX. Enjoy unlimited liquidity across multiple networks and top-level security. Get OneInch on your phone now or swap on OneInch.io. Thanks for tuning in to this week's News Recap. Coinbase funds lawsuit against Treasury over Tornado Cash sanctions. As mentioned earlier in the episode, on Thursday, six Tornado Cash users, including Preston Van Loon, filed a lawsuit against the Treasury Department. Their legal fees will be covered by Coinbase. Coinbase's chief legal officer, Paul Gruel, told CNBC he is worried about the legal precedents that these sanctions are setting. He said, if this code can be designated without any limits imposed by law, any technology, any tool or system could be fair game. Ever since the sanctions, there's been uncertainty around what U.S.-based institutions will do after the merge, such as whether they would validate or attest to blocks with transactions involving sanctioned addresses. However, this week, Gruel said that Coinbase believes validators are not compelled to censor transactions. The merge sparked some DeFi disruptions and new business opportunities. Ahead of the merge, DeFi protocol Aave decided to temporarily halt loans of Ether, the decision was made by the Aave community, which was worried that people would increasingly borrow ETH in order to receive any coins from a potential post-merge proof-of-work version of Ethereum. The excessive borrowing could cause a liquidity crisis. Decentralized applications are not the only ones moving fast before the merge. This week, Binance US enabled high-yield ETH staking, offering a 6% APY for US users. In addition, Swiss crypto bank Seba also announced its own Ethereum staking services on Wednesday, 
for institutional investors. Ethereum miners are reallocating resources. With the merge, the Ethereum mainnet will transition from a proof-of-work to a proof-of-stake consensus algorithm. But that doesn't mean that Ether miners are going to have to waste all their computing power. For instance, crypto miner Hive Blockchain is exploring other mining alternatives. The company, which is reportedly mining $350,000 worth of Bitcoin and ETH a day, is testing other proof-of-work chains, but hasn't confirmed which ones specifically. However, HUD-8 Mining Group decided to take a different path, as it will desist from mining and reallocate its resources to machine learning and artificial intelligence. This week, Ethereum Classic's hash rate hit an all-time high, which indicates that miners may be shifting their computing power there. In addition, London-based firm ETC Group announced that it would support a proof-of-work version of Ethereum if one exists post-merge. Is the White House against proof-of-work? The White House released a report called Climate and Energy Implications of Crypto Assets in the United States, in which it claims that crypto assets could hinder broader efforts to achieve net-zero carbon pollution consistent with U.S. climate commitments and goals. The report said some crypto asset technologies currently require a considerable amount of electricity for asset generation, ownership, and exchange. Electricity usage from digital assets is contributing to greenhouse gas emissions, additional pollution, noise, and other local impacts, depending on markets, policies, and local electricity sources. It urged federal agencies, such as the Environmental Protection Agency and the Department of Energy, among others, to minimize the environmental impacts of crypto assets, ensure energy reliability, obtain data to monitor the impacts, advance energy efficiency standards, and other measures. The crypto market cap drops below $1 trillion, and Vitalik has concerns about BTC. On Wednesday, Bitcoin fell below the $19,000 mark, dragging the crypto market cap down to less than $1 trillion once again. BTC and ETH hit a weekly low of $18,644 and $1,500 respectively, according to CoinMarketCap. The ETH-BTC ratio, which tracks the performance of Ether against Bitcoin, reached a yearly high this week, showing that investors are more confident in Ethereum. In an interview with economics writer Noah Smith, Ethereum's founder, Vitalik Buterin, said he has two concerns for BTC. First, he claimed that Bitcoin can't rely solely on transaction fees to secure the network. This will happen when the block rewards are phased out, sometime around the year 2140. He said Bitcoin is just not succeeding at getting the level of fee revenue required to secure what could be a multi-trillion dollar system. Bitcoin fees are about $300,000 per day and haven't really grown that much over the last five years. Second, he said that proof-of-stake is more efficient than proof-of-work, and he is worried that the Bitcoin community doesn't want to make that transition. Was Celsius a Ponzi scheme? According to a filing from the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation, crypto lender Celsius used new investor funds to repay old investors, a technique most commonly known as a Ponzi scheme. Celsius is currently going through bankruptcy proceedings, and the report from the Vermont Department analyzed how the company was managed. The filing said, During the course of the multi-state investigation, it has become clear that Celsius, through its CEO, Alex Mashinsky, and otherwise, made false and misleading claims to investors about InterAlia, the company's financial health, and its compliance with securities laws, both of which likely induced retail investors to invest in Celsius or to leave their investments in Celsius, despite concerns about the volatility of the cryptocurrency market. 
Furthermore, Celsius is being accused of manipulating the price of its token, CEL, to boost its balance sheet. Some Celsius borrowers are asking the bankruptcy court to appoint an independent examiner to look into Celsius's financials. However, they don't want one employed by the U.S. trustee office, as they are concerned about the delay it would cause in the resolution of the case. Celsius is expecting a cash injection of $70 million from loan repayments, according to Kirkland & Ellis, a law firm in charge of the company's restructuring. These funds will help Celsius meet its operational expenses for 2022. Speaking of troubled crypto companies, Poland Wallet, the wallet service of one of the world's biggest Bitcoin mining pools, suspended withdrawals amidst a liquidity crisis. Kevin Pan, the firm's CEO and founder, assured users that the assets were safe. Crypto broker Voyager Digital will hold an asset auction on September 13th as part of its bankruptcy proceedings. The results of the auction will be approved at a hearing to be held on September 29th. Coinbase makes a controversial proposal on MakerDAO. Coinbase, the largest cryptocurrency exchange in the U.S., offered MakerDAO a business proposal to access $24 million in yearly revenue. The company posted a governance proposal on the MakerDAO forum to have the protocol deposit $1.6 billion worth of USDC and Coinbase Prime, the exchange's institutional platform, in return for a 1.5% annual yield, which would be about $24 million. The drama around this proposal is that it would push Maker further towards the centralization side of the spectrum, something that its own founder has been trying to fight. The community is divided on Coinbase's proposal, with some arguing that it would boost Maker's revenue, while others saying that DAI and Maker will end up in the hands of Coinbase. Binance removes USDC, but Circle is not worried. Binance, the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, announced it will remove USDC and some other stablecoins as tradable assets from its platform. On September 29th, the platform will automatically convert any USDC, USDP, and TUSD tokens into its own stablecoin, BUSD, at a one-to-one ratio to enhance liquidity and capital efficiency for users. Evgeny Gavoy, founder and CEO of Wintermute, tweeted, Removing most stablecoin pairs is a good thing. It's not USDC delisting, it's another big step towards Tether losing ground to U.S. native stablecoins. Jeremy Allaire, the CEO of Circle, the issuer of USDC, doesn't seem worried. He said, given how limited BUSD usage is outside of Binance, this will likely benefit USDC as the preferred cross-CEX and DEX stablecoin rail. Unless Binance can convince all their competitors to get behind BUSD. Unlikely. The Fed wants stablecoin regulation, but it may have to wait. Speaking of stablecoins, three different Federal Reserve officials, Federal Reserve Board Chair Jerome Powell, Fed Vice Chair for Supervision Michael Barr, and Fed Vice Chair Lael Brainerd, pushed for stablecoin regulation at three separate conferences this week. As Powell said at a Cato Institute conference, I think you need regulation. If people are going to think something is money, it needs to have the qualities of money. I don't think you want to take money and make it into just another consumer product. However, Coindesk regulation and policy reporter Nicholas Day wrote in a column that although it had been expected that stablecoin regulation might be adopted this year, that's currently looking unlikely. A number of issues, such as the role of state regulators and the possibility of a digital dollar, among other items, remain to be ironed out. Time for fun bits. A violin soundtrack for the rainbow model. 
Over the past few years, there's been plenty of analysts trying to come up with models to predict the price of BTC. But there's one that's become a meme on Twitter. Eric Wall's rainbow chart, a mock model for the Bitcoin price. It is basically a rainbow, indicating when BTC is cheap to buy or, in the model's words, basically a fire sale. Even though it is a made-up model, the price of Bitcoin has never fallen below the lowest band on the rainbow. Wall, a crypto analyst and writer, posted a hilarious video on Twitter showing how closely the rainbow model was to failing against a clip from the movie Titanic. In this scene, the boat is sinking and the violinists play their last song. Because it looked like the model was just about to fail, Wall superimposed the rainbow chart on top, a sort of anticipatory elegy. Hours before the daily BTC candle closed, he tweeted, Summoning a BTC USD daily close that will save the rainbow. Moments later, BTC rebounded <laughs> and the model didn't break. Despite that, Wall's Twitter bio reads, You can't predict the price of Bitcoin with a rainbow, you idiot. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Preston and the merge, check out the show notes for this episode. Get the Unchained Daily newsletter in your email and inbox every morning. Go to unchainedpodcast.com to sign up. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Matt Pilchard, Wanda Ranovich, Pamela Jimdar, Shashank, CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.